We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Welcome to another Kilkenny Today. It's uh, great to have you back with us again here on the show. I'm Morris O'Connor, of course, with you for the rest of the hour, anyway, till the top of the hour. Uh, whether it's not, um, 6 o'clock in the evening, if you're listening to me live, or indeed uh, 10 o'clock in the morning-ish, the end of the show will be if you're listening to me on the repeat. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, whichever you prefer or whichever is appropriate. Uh, it's good to have you with us one way or the other here on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM and crkc.ie anywhere around the country or indeed around the world. Now, later on in today's show, of course, um, we won't have any parish news, but again, we'll bring that back to you as soon as we can, as soon as we have any news to report to you when uh, restrictions lift and um, religious services resume around the city and the county. We'll definitely bring you news of those all over again. But uh, in the meantime, we'll uh, continue on with the show. Towards the end of the show, we've kind of got a bit of the mentoring and... um, uh, stuff in, in related to kind of subjects to go on today's show really kind of one at the start one at the end of the show but sandwiched between these two we've got uh, Declan Rice who's the Chief Executive Officer of Kilkenny Leader Partnership and Declan was on with, uh, before with us before, just uh, shortly before in fact I think uh, literally a week before Christmas um, concerned about funding for leader programmes and he's back again um, that concern has moved on a wee bit since then so we'll be hearing from Declan towards the middle of the show um, at the end of the show we'll have Mark Byrne the Chief Executive Officer of CHIME who's the, which is the National Charity for Deafness and Hearing Loss and they've announced a uh, kind of a mentoring programme uh, uh, aimed at um, helping people with hear- hearing loss and hearing difficulties uh, in their transition from secondary schooling into third level education so we'll be hearing about uh, what Mark has got in mind uh, on that later on in the show but on the subject of mentoring I'm delighted to be joined on the show today first guest today by Kate Carroll who's a program officer in Faroiga here in Kilkenny for a program called Big Brother Big Sister so welcome Kate lovely to have you with us it's great to be here thank you for taking the time to have me on not at all. You're very, very welcome. Um, Kate, uh, even though it was only recently announced, I think I saw last week the announcement of uh, Big Brother, Big Sister being available as a, a mentoring program through um, Faroiga, um here in Kilkenny. This, when I looked into it, this is a program that's over 100 years old. Tell me more. It, yes, um, Big Brother, Big Sister started in America over 100 years ago. Um it's really effective, really positive, very simple program. And since its inception in America, it's been, I suppose, taken on by 14 other countries around the world, Ireland included, and Broiga, the National Youth Development Organization, who I work for, um, took it to Ireland in 2001 and piloted it in the west of Ireland. And it has been so effective here in Ireland as well as in the other countries that we are now in 20 counties across the country. Mm. How, like for, for things like that, and we'll we get on to the detail of how it works and all of that and participation and from either the young person or the mentor's point of view. But like, have, looking back on those 
whatever it is, nearly 20 years of its presence in Ireland. Like, how how is the the effectiveness of it or the impact of a program like Big Brother Big Sister um, being measured? How would you describe it? So, um, at the start, it was piloted in the West, and in 2010, Froiga, I suppose, worked alongside NUI Galway to see was it effective in Ireland in an Irish context. So, yeah, it was very effective in America and other countries, but they wanted to make sure it was having a, a good impact here in Ireland. So over 18 months, Galway did some research for us, um, Galway University. Uh, they took 164 young people um, and ran a randomised control trial, I believe is what it's known as. So half of the young people had mentors and half did not. And at the end of the 18 months, um, the outcomes for the young people with mentors were far greater than those without. Um, it showed that the young people had an increased sense of hope, just about life in general. They felt that they had a better perspective on life because I suppose they're meeting with a friend outside of their, their usual circle. So they're de- seeing how people lived different ways. They were School teachers were noticing that they were getting on better in school, uh, getting on better with peers. Parents noticed that they were communicating better at home with them and with their, their siblings. Um, and they were less likely to initiate drug or alcohol use. And overall, they just felt better supported. So it's really simple, but really effective. Mm, it sounds like a no-brainer, actually. It's, uh, the, I suppose the only wonder is how, how come we didn't um, hear of it any sooner in Ireland in general or even in Kilkenny. Um, well, I have to say, like, Broig are very progressive and they, they like to look around the world for different... Um, different methods of engaging young people and, and what's positive and, and what can work well in, in our system here in Ireland. Um, mm. In Kilkenny, we did, we got funding. It's all a matter of funding. Um, so some money came through the Killeen Group, um, so through their philanthropic funding, and um, they've decided to support it here in Kilkenny. So we're very, very grateful to have the opportunity to, to give Big Brother Big Sister to, to young people in Kilkenny. Well, good for them, good for them. It's great to get um, corporates in, involved in supporting all sorts yeah. of different activities. Um, so the the programme Big Brother, Big Sister, the programme itself, like, okay, how, how does it work, say, from either the, or both, maybe the perspective, starting off with the, the young person and then maybe the mentor's perspective as well? Yeah, so the, the ultimate aim of the programme is to match a young person with an adult volunteer. They meet once a week for an hour or two and the initial commitment is for one year. So it gives the friendship a good chance to develop and grow and the communication and the trust to build. And um, I suppose uh, volunteers can get involved. Um, there, there's a process because we're very, um, want to put people through a process where we get to know them quite well and we can match the adult volunteers to the young people based on similar interests similar values, their hobbies, their personalities, so that the friendship has a very good chance of, you know, of, of mm. taking taking hold. Mm. I remember like years ago and I don't know whether there's any comparison between this or not you can tell me very quickly if there is but I remember years ago when I was still working and there was kind of coaching programs brought into work and at the start of the you know there was a commitment of whatever length of time sessions it was with the coach and the the person being coached uh, which I was one um, but you had to you kind of set out well what are we trying to get out of this um, process at the start and then you went through the process and then you kind of look back at the end of it to see um, how, how things had gone is is big brother big sister kind of structured like that or is it a lot more kind of loose and open-ended 
and it's loose and it's structured if that makes sense at no. all so at the start and um, the young people will name you know something that they might want to get out of it or their parents so they might want to be more confident or they might want to experience new things and for the first six months we just want that friendship to develop but we all sit down after six months together and we say right is there anything else you want to work on and it might be going to a coffee shop and having the confidence to order the coffee or the hot chocolate or whatever it is that they're having or it might be to go and maybe go canoeing with like the, the kayak club there on the noor is to try new things and to have a buddy to go with and to, to you know reassure you when yeah. you're feeling nervous so it's kind of like starting on on building the the connection between the the the, uh, the adult and the young person, and then moving on from that. Once there's a good bond established there, moving on to kind of get into the kind of things that really will make a difference to the young person. Absolutely, yeah, that, that's that's yeah. our aim. And then look at it uh, after after the end of the year. So it's a year long commitment from from both um, parties. Um, and from the the the. Uh, the like when you talked about things like canoeing there I was thinking to myself the first thought that occurred to me was you, there, there must be it's a bit like in a sense a bit like dating you can only got to match the the, um, the adults with the young person there's no point having somebody who's you know could have has uh, maybe no interest in sport at all an adult with a young person who's passionate about sport or really belongs to kind of achieve something uh, in a sporting context yes no um, you've hit the nail on the head this is why we, we do such a process to um, prove of intake for our young people and for the volunteers. We want to get to know them. We want to know their interests. We want to know where there'll be common ground between the two of them. So I won't say, oh, here's Morris, he's, here's our volunteer, and here's the next boy come along who wants the program and just put you together. I need to make sure that the two of you have something in common, that, you know, you have similar personalities. And like with any friendship, like, that you're going to get on and that you're going to want to see each other every week. So you'll be you'll be the one doing the, the so-called swiping right or swiping left or whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> In a manner of speaking. Um, yes, a bit more involved than what I believe Tinder is, but uh, yeah, sure, pretty much so. I'm sure think, there um, is. I'm sure there is. Um, the other, the other, another, another question, I suppose, that occurs to me is... Um, do you does the program involve specifically having you know the same gender matched from a kind of an adult young person point of view or again is there is there are there cases where maybe actually have like female adult or male young person or vice versa that would actually work well no uh, the program guidelines um state that we match with the same gender so. yeah is that i presume yeah. that's based on the experience of doing it so many times over the last hundred years yes yeah, I'm not going to argue with them. <laughs> they have the experience, and and they know what they know what works. Yeah. So tell us then, um, you know, we're likely to have, like, given the our um, listenership, we're probably going to have more um, adults listening than young people, much as we might like to change that or rebalance yeah. that. But uh, let's accept the reality of that, go with that talk for a moment. So we'll have people who may be more in the space of um, possibly volunteering as mentors who might be listening to us. So what's involved for anybody like that? If they say, well, that sounds like a nice thing I'd like to do. I can easily afford one hour a week for a year, and it could be good, good to spend some time with a young person and make some difference to that. That young person's lives. What's involved for an adult signing up? So to sign up, uh, they get in contact with myself. Uh, we have an information session where I share the whole volunteer process of of how to get involved and um, what like what is involved. So what what's involved is um, the next step. As they decide, yes, I'd still like to to volunteer as a big. They would submit an application form. 
uh, we reference check, we guard a vest, there's an interview and a home visit and training. <laughs> so that there is quite a lot involved, but again, all that process is to make sure we're matching the right adult with the right young person. Yeah, I suppose in this day and age anyway, stuff like guard vetting is absolutely essential, isn't it, given the um, yeah, oh. the, the kind of rules around child protection and all that. Do, do people have to do that? Excuse, there's a the thing. Do people have to do that kind of children first? Is that what it's called, the um, child protection and uh, training? Yes, so that's part of the training. So the Big Brother, Big Sister volunteer training is two parts. There's an introduction or an induction to Big Brother, Big Sister, what your role is, what it's not. And then there's a separate child protection awareness program, um, which comes from children first. Yeah, so how, how long does all that take then before somebody would be, um, I wouldn't, well, I'd hesitate to describe it as being let loose on a young person, but you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> um, if we were working at speed, I believe you could get that all done in six weeks. But to be honest, um, at the moment, I'm processing volunteers, a lot of it online, but nobody will be signed off before I meet them in person at least once if not twice or three times um, just so again I'm, I'm getting a sense of their personality which you don't get necessarily online um, so yeah. yeah I want to get to know them and I want to be able to meet the young people in person so Faroiga as a national organisation has a very clear outline of how we all operate as staff and volunteers and that goes in accordance with the government guidelines um, under COVID. So as we move through different levels, we're permitted to do different levels of of, hmm. of engagement. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, I may have to wait a little while. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it is a lengthy process, but um, it could be done in six to eight weeks in, in, in good times. Um, well, it's proper order that to be appropriate training anyway. Um, yes. Do do, par- do yes. mentors have to be parents? Have to be parents? Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. No. So no. it's more about just personality and aptitude yes. generally for the, the role. Yes. Um, yeah, so the volunteers are aged 18 plus. And we go okay. there. So they're anything mm-hmm. from... I actually don't know what or what age our oldest big is in the country, but uh, that's maybe a question I can so go back and ask. That's what you call them big, is it? Uh, bigs, yes. Bigs, They're the big. old ones and the young people are the littles. Bigs and little, so oh, yeah, cute, right? Um, so let's talk about uh, the littles then for the moment. Uh, given that's what you're um, calling the the young people under the program, um, I presume the sign up is much simpler for them. They just approach for again and say, "Look, this might be, I might like to do this." Or do do the contacts often come through the parents? Uh, they can come through parents. They can come through the young people. Uh, it could be young people attending the Froga project. That some of the staff might say, "God, would you would you like this?" that be something you're interested in and they mm. can express their interest that way or any um, anyone working with young people who think you know this young person would really enjoy that they can get in touch with me and I'll talk them through the referral process uh, so once the young person is interested and I must stress it's voluntary um, young people aren't dragged kicking and screaming to meet no. their, their adult mentor they, they need to want to do this and we yeah. wouldn't we wouldn't have them there otherwise um so, yeah, I would meet them and, like the volunteers, get to know them, their hobbies, their interests, and um, what they're looking to get out of the programme, and the same with their parents and the guardians. 
Um, so just so Jim, just one last um, one last question for you then, Kate, before we let you go. And thanks for joining us again. Um, how can people get in touch with you then to to sign up, whether it's as a volunteer mentor, the big, or uh, from the little person, um, young person perspective? Uh, well, very kindly, Kilkenny Volunteer Centre are advertising for me, or people can go to www.froiga.ie forward slash bbbs. Um, or you can contact me directly um, on at kate.carl at froiga.ie Great, and that's uh, C-A-R-R-O-L-L Yes, that's it. Yeah, lovely. Um, lovely. Thanks a million for joining us, Kate. Uh, very best wishes with the programme. It sounds like uh, really beneficial and uh, we look forward to hearing about the same kind of outcomes here in Kilkenny that have been researched over there in Galway. Thanks for joining us. Great, thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. No, uh, that, was, that was Kate Carroll, their programme coordinator with Big Brother, Big Sister, with uh, Feroiga here in Kilkenny and Kate's uh, contact details. Either go on to Feroiga, F-O-R-O-I-G-E dot I-E slash B-B-B-S or indeed Kate dot Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L at Feroiga dot I-E and you can get her. Or indeed the Kilkenny Volunteer Centre as well will be able to put you in touch. By the time we took an ad break here on today's Kilkenny Today, we'll be back in a couple of minutes' time with Declan Rice, CEO of the Kilkenny Leader Partnership, just after these. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. And welcome back to the second part of today's show. Great to have you with us here on Kilkenny today. And uh, good afternoon, or indeed good morning, if you're listening on the repeat. One way or the other, it's lovely to have you with us. Um, now, back with us again, our next guest, uh, Declan Rice, Chief Executive Officer of Kilkenny Leader Partnership. Um, Declan, you were with us um, on, I think, looking back at my records, on Friday, December the 18th, and we were chatting at that time about your concerns around interim leader funding. Um, sounds like the, your, your concerns certainly haven't gone away. Well, in fairness, uh, there's been there's been some address, and the minister has announced uh, a new an interim leader program, which will bridge the gap between the end of last year and 2020. Uh, the current leader program is is wrapping up at the moment, uh, and there will be an interim program. Uh, I, the the issue would be, Morris, that the budgets for that are uh, by everyone's admission, including the minister's, uh, not adequate at the moment. Uh, she's hoping to augment it, but one of the concerns we have is that uh, a way which seems to be uh, pointed towards it is to take money forward from the new program, which is due to start in 2023 and it's the last five years from there, and spread that over the, the, the interim period. So you'd basically be spreading five years over seven years. Uh, it doesn't take uh, a, a maths genius to work out that that means less money all around. Uh, uh, it sounds uh, like a very poor deal, all right? Yeah, so the program for government uh, actually uh, did say that it would be an Irish-led uh, interim program so rather than complain about things we're trying to offer the minister uh, a solution and we're, we're pointing out that there is the option of the european union's recovery uh, and and, uh, and resilience fund which was introduced there last year to sort of bridge this COVID uh, crisis uh, which we all have and uh, supporting an interim leader program in that context would make a lot of sense. That's European money at 100%. And we're, we're asking uh, the minister to look at that rather than, uh, I suppose, adopt uh, the, the approach which seems to be forward, which would be that it would be, uh, you know, spreading the jam that, uh, uh, for, uh, you know, for two extra years. Yeah, and have, your, have yourself and um, your... Uh, fellow colleague um, CEOs or people in similar positions in other leader partnerships around the country, Declan, have you kind of satisfied yourselves collectively that that 
190 million EU COVID recovery fund, its rules or its terms and conditions and stuff can be used. Um, yeah, for, we are. Yeah, programs. there's no reason why why not. We we've done the, the background research and we've asked in Europe and you know and in fairness, nobody has said it can't. It's just that we, we haven't heard it can. And our experience is that if you don't get in early and make these suggestions, you, you pass an event horizon and things can't be reversed and you're told, oh, well, we can't do that now. We've, that's, that funding is going to go on something else or we, we, we've lost the opportunity or whatever. So there's always these issues, you know. So we're trying now this year early to let the minister know this is an issue. Uh, you know, you, you, you need to look at this. So it's not just, in fairness, Minister Heather Humphreys, it's also it's the government as a whole, uh, and particularly uh, uh, Minister Charlie McConnell, the Minister of Agriculture, who would have a role in this too. So is it, is it a question of getting both um, Heather Humphreys and Charlie McConnell on board with the idea before you could really move it forward? Yeah, it, it, it is that. And I, I just want to make clear, this is, this is not just a, a sort of an abstract discussion about leader managers or CEOs, uh, you know, looking for, for money. But this means that project money will not be available for people, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Or I, not I was going quantity. to ask no, you, actually, that, that, you know, I, that, I should um, say that the leader yeah. program uh, uh, has very much been reduced. I mean, effectively, uh, the last program was a 41% reduction uh, on the previous one. So, uh, and if the current default situation was to occur, it would be a two-thirds reduction. So it would be a 66% reduction on what we had uh, in, from, uh, to, uh, from 2007-2013, which is obviously uh, a peculiar situation, really. So mm-hmm. uh, particularly when we're in recovery, uh, you know, as, as a country, that uh, we, we didn't get the, you know, that, we, that the theatre didn't get the bounce that everyone else got. Uh, and uh, so... That, that comes down to, to money which is available. It comes yeah. down to where, you know where, where where that goes, and it means that decisions have to be made. Uh, yeah, because so as you said, it doesn't take any maths genius to recognise that um, if you've got only a third of what you had before, there's only um, probably a third of what you can you're going to be able to do with it. Um, exactly. What sort of are there particular programs or projects and stuff that you really feel are under serious threat because of this? If, well, if you don't get a resolve to your we, satisfaction, we don't know yet. Uh, we 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 do know uh, that the minister has uh, aspirations, which you know we would applaud to do things on for first time. Uh, you know, ab- applicants or you know small amounts of money, but that all takes time and effort. I mean, by, by its nature, the first time you do everything, you have to learn it, and, and you know someone has to hold your hand effectively or nearly hold your hand. So. I mean, if, if the minister is serious about us doing that, you really have to actually put the money into the system. You know, you, you have to you have to resource the system uh, if you want if you want to get those results. I mean, there is uh, aspirations as well towards, uh, I suppose, the green economy, uh, biodiversity, renewable energy, all of which we applaud, and all of which we've been long time uh, you know pioneers of. You know, going back twenty odd years. Uh, so we, we're 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 all for that, and we, you know some of our, our flagship pro projects like like the Noah Vision and things like that are definitely you know in that area. But the minister is talking also about broadband. Now we have had experience of broadband, very limited what we, it was in the previous pro, in the current program. But what we could do with it, with the exception of the work, the great work which they're doing down in Pilltown, uh, where they're looking to build their own fibre uh, network there in the towns of Fidown and. Uh, in Fidown and Pilltown together, mm. the community-owned uh, uh, fibre broadband system, that's really, we can only support them on the, the non-capital items. So we're, we're, we, we, we would fear that unless the minister properly resorts the interim programme uh, and the, the new programme 2023-27, you know, that all of those ambitious things tend to get 
squeezed out because they take time and effort, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. I can well imagine. But I, I'd assume that, you know, that you'd, you'd have a, a time scale and, you know, with a lot of these things where you're depending on funding, I presume you need to, there, there are certain time kind of deadlines by which you need to know have you got the funding in place because you have decisions to make. And yeah, so no, like in, we, in, we, in we, advance we, of that, I presume you'd be kind of trying to fairness, do some scenario oppor- planning to see well, what's going to happen. The program allows the opportunity for planning. We, we, uh, uh, and what you would be hoping to do uh, in, the, in the current, as well as, you know, straightforward and serious projects, you'd be hoping to set up uh, in the interim program you know, to, to make some of these major things. So, like, the Norvision is several years in the making, and we're hoping it's sort, of, it's sort of delivering now, and we're hoping we don't want this project to come and go. We want them to have a legacy and continue. So we, we have a history of doing that, and we're proud of doing that, uh, you know, that we, 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 we do put the effort in to develop. So if you're talking about projects like that, you need to, you need to know now what your budget would be in two years, mm-hmm. three years, mm-hmm. five years' time. You really do. Yeah. You need to have a and good you, idea. You, now, you, you mentioned Norvision in particular, yeah, and I think that's one of your newer and bigger um, yeah. projects, uh, Declan. But the, you've, you've also got a lot of programs under the kind of headings of enterprise and community support, the Rural Social Scheme, Kickstart yeah. is another one you do stuff, and migrant support and sustainable energy communities. Um, it would be impossible, I suppose, to, to spread any reduced funding uh, it wouldn't be probably not a good idea anyway to try and spread a thin, thin and more thin way across all of those you know, are, are there particular things or particular program types that might be at risk if you don't get the kind of money that well, you, we, you, we, we need? We don't really want to wave shrouds uh, uh, at the moment, Morris, but because yeah. we, that doesn't—I'm not saying you're—I know you're not inviting that, but uh, we, no. we don't want to get into that yet because we think there's a solution here. But it—it it, it, it is inevitable that you have to make choices if you have less money, you know, and yeah. you know that—that so some of the more difficult things, some of the things that take ambition, that take. Uh, Dedication. There are there are always things which you know you you might have to say. Well, that'll be a lovely project to do or a lovely initiative, but it's going to take us two years to get that far. And you know we can do something much more prosaic here uh, straight away. Now I'm not saying that there's room for prosaic projects too, too, and we do plenty of them as well as the ambitious ones. But you know it is the it is the ones which are innovative. It is the ones which you know you you look back in in, in ten years' time and you say that was worth getting into. So it's like some mm-hmm. of the Kenny's, it's the likes of you know Ringalinks, those type of projects where you know you make the time and effort to commit and invest and you know take calculated risks and they pay off. They're the yeah. ones which you know uh, in in a situation where you you have to uh, you know rationalise that they tend to be the ones to get squeezed out. Yeah. Now, in fairness, yeah, so- I have to say. You know, uh, we're getting great support from all our public representatives, and uh, Minister Noonan is obviously uh, in government, which is great to have, and he's he's very responsive to things. And uh, also, all of our TDs and, and Oireachtas members are, are great to you know respond and, and give the support we need. So we're we're you know we we have that we have that support locally, and mm-hmm. we we appreciate it. But you know, I think what needs to happen now is a realization that you can't do local development on the cheap. You know, yeah. yeah. So, like, just just to try and put a, a figure on it to give listeners an idea, Declan, just across the country as a whole, because this isn't, um, I'm assuming, just a Kilkenny problem. Yeah. Like, how much? Uh, what would be the total amount of money involved? How many million euros to kind of plug the well, gap well, okay, across well, the country the, this this the, year? The, the, program, start, uh, the current program has gone was 250 million. Okay, of which uh, basically 62.5 percent was EU money, and the rest was Irish state money. The default, uh, if they if they adopt the, the the minimum standard for the budget for 
uh, say 20, 23, 27. Let's leave the interim program out because the interim program, we, we currently only have half a million uh, for that period between April uh, this year and the end of next year. Now, the Minister does hope to add to that, uh, and if she does, that'd be great. She, it'd want to be a significant add to it because that won't go you know, very far. You can imagine no, no. a half dozen projects would take care of that half a million uh, if you had a, a size. But our, the, the budget for 2023-27, unless it is resourced properly, uh, will be 140 million. And that's without taking money and spreading it over two extra years. Now, that is, I suppose, the worst-case scenario. But we've tended to get damn near the worst-case scenarios in the last, last couple of uh, programmes, you know? Um, mm. So $140 million, as opposed to $250 million, you're getting towards the level that a programme is, uh, you know, uh, it becomes more challenging just to operate and run, but it also means that there's just less money there for everybody. Mm-hmm. It sounds, I mean, with, with that sort of a thing, it sounds like as if, um, again, with cons- maybe being a bit conspiratorial about it, that somebody at some upper echelons of relevant, mm-hmm. um, de- uh, whatever they call them, the organisations, the units in, in Brussels in the European Commission has kind of taken a, a no, these, to these the, aren't the, European the Commission program. decisions. These are Irish yeah. government decisions. Oh, just for the, the just this uh, two hundred and fifty million or the one hundred and forty. Yeah. This is the and Irish. Based, this is the Irish government. There, there is there is a there is a reduction in the in the, in the Irish uh, uh, rural development program budget, which includes largely farming things. I mean, uh, the the leader comes from uh, the, the the common agricultural policy. It's has been for many years, but one percent of the, the you know the the spend. So you know it, it's it's actually you know really small uh, yeah. uh, on that. So really, we, we we have the challenge is the decisions which are made uh, in Ireland uh, on this. And the first, I mean, there are issues about uh, the the split of the RDP between uh, I suppose conventional agriculture and uh, more community based uh, rural development. And there's the co-funding rate, and which the Irish government is paid, prepared to put in. In both cases, uh, the tendency has been that you know the minimum possible or minimum required goes in. But what we're saying here is, for the interim pro- program, uh, this is something which is not really an argument for the state. This is money which is 100% available, mm-hmm. and we 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 there's they've already got for 190 million. And we're saying, well, the leader program should be in line for a significant amount of that in that period between April this year and the end of next year. So you're, you're saying that the, the, um, the, lo- the local representatives, anyway, TDs, and I'm sure councillors as well, are very supportive, which isn't at all um, yeah, they are, And I think, you know, we, we, we will be uh, talking to them more. We have been talking to them in the past, and we will be talking to them again regularly. We don't like, uh, you know, necessarily having to, you know, um, go uh, on the airways, and we, and we try to be, you know, uh, I suppose, balanced and reasonable, and we totally understand government's priorities and we have COVID and we have we have, we have, and that's there but, but there will be need of a recovery from COVID and rural Ireland's going to need that recovery too yeah, yeah. and speaking of which then Declan like or would you be hoping to enlist support or from a lot of the, the uh, communities and projects and um, development uh, well, things well, around, we around the county we're not looking to run uh, a, a, a grassroots campaign well not yet anyway <laughs> you know, we're hoping that uh, uh, by a sort of a reasonable sort of uh, 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 the proposition being put to uh, the, the the government, both directly and through the media, that they'll appreciate the opportunity. It's there, as I say, it's an opportunity. We're not looking to take money from anybody else. We're not looking to take money from, from you, from the Irish government. The EU has made this money available, and why wouldn't why wouldn't it, uh, the the Irish government? 
take advantage of that. Yeah, so, and it sounds it sounds like from the, the the amount of money that you outlined to us there a few minutes ago, Declan, that this is something that you really need. Um, it's getting quite urgent. You really need to have it resolved fast. Have you have you? Well, we, uh, but we do. We need brand we, optimism we, around that. Yeah, well, there, I, think, I think there's some optimism that people are now hearing what we're saying. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, I think to be honest, uh, the, the, it shouldn't really have necessarily this shouldn't have been required but we sort of know the way things work really as well and we're realists in this and sometimes you know you, you have to point uh, out we're not necessarily the first in the queue for some of these resources or the people who think of first but we're, 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 we, we are uh, uh, you know an obvious candidate for us you know an, an agency sorry a, a, an organization a community-based organization which uh, you know p- provides funding towards innovative projects in rural areas both businesses and communities, you know, you, you, that, that would seem to us to be a ready-made source for funding uh, from a program such as the Recovery and Resilience Fund, which, as I said, yeah, is funded 100%. Hopefully, anyway, government will will see the light and yeah, uh, we hope avail so. of that um, 190 million COVID um, yeah. recovery. I mean, fund. There, there is a campaign uh, uh, across the country from our colleagues on this uh, as well, uh, and but we're trying we're trying to do it in a positive way. As I say, we're pointing out this is the solution. Uh, don't miss the opportunity. Well, very best wishes with that, Declan, because I'm sure there'll be an awful lot of uh, people in communities around the county and indeed in your counterparts around the rest of the country that we be very disappointed to be um, having to be told that the money isn't available to continue yeah. or start the project. They've been and, hoping and to kick off. Now's the time so, to act. Now's the time yeah, to indeed, act. indeed. Thanks a million for joining Thanks us, Declan. Very, very best for that. Best luck to all your Take listeners. Care. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. Bye now. That was Declan Rice, State Chief Executive Officer of Kilkenny Leader Partnership there. Uh, and it sounds like as if that funding issue is becoming um, very urgent. And uh, we... Presumably, we, we might have Declan back uh, sometime later on in the year anyway to see how that particular uh, uh, objective has been met or whether he's going to be able to himself and the other leader partnerships around the country will have been able to secure that money. We'll, we'll get Declan back to tell us about that or you'll hear about it anyway. One way or the other, I'm sure, and particularly if you are an affected uh, community or program that the uh, leader or partnership here in Kilkenny has been funding. Anyway, by the time we took a second ad break of the day um, after this one, we'll be back with Mark Byrne, who's the Chief Executive Officer of CHIME, and CHIME is the National Charity for Deafness and Hearing Loss. So do stay with us here in Community Radio, Kilkenny City. We'll be back in a couple of minutes' time just after these. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. play Community Radio Kilkenny City Split the Pot at the Lucre Supermarket and Service Station Freshwood Road Quick Mart Lord Edward Street Gala Lock Boy Hennessy's Dry Cleaning Lock Boy Morrissey's Supermarket Friary Street Paddy Canals Butchers Friary Street John Joe Cullen Upper John Street Richie Kearns Ballybuck Street You gotta be in it to win it Welcome back to the last part of today's show. Great to have you with us as usual. I'm joined on the line now by Mark Byrne, who is the Chief Executive Officer of CHIME, the National Charity for Deafness and Hearing Loss. Um, good evening, Mark. Welcome. Good evening, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very, very welcome. Um, Mark, I suppose people in the community who have either themselves or have somebody in their family or friends who are affected um, by hearing loss or deafness will probably be well aware of yourselves in CHIME. Um, but for the rest of uh, the listeners who may not be so familiar with you, just uh, tell, us, tell us about CHIME very briefly. Yeah, of course, Mark. So um, CHIME uh, is in existence as a charity for about six years, uh, originally set up as the National Association for the Deaf, and over 
a couple of uh, different kind of name changes over the years. We've, we've ended up as Chime. Um, we've 12 offices around the country uh, trying to support people of all ages, uh, from, from birth to old age, who have different levels of hearing loss, um, be, it, be it profound deafness for the sign language users to people who are, are using their hearing through old age and, and other natural uh, reasons. Um, so it's kind of a broad range of services from, from in-depth support services where we have residential services and social work services to kind of basic advice and information and, and signposting people through, uh, through the daily challenges that they, they, they face being deaf or, or yeah. having, having a hearing loss. Yeah, I suppose I have to ask you the obvious question. How have you been impacted by uh, the pandemic since this time last year? Well, like everybody else, there's, there's been huge challenges over the last kind of 11, 12 months. Um, you know, we've a, a big piece of our work would have been kind of the social engagement and social uh, inclusion part of it. And obviously, like everybody else, um, social events and social kind of uh, activities have, have uh, obviously been curtailed. We've we've um, been quite proactive though in a number of ways. We've reached out to reach out with uh, a lot of new services, so um, a lot of new Facebook services. We, we do kind of three updates a week on our Facebook live uh, sessions, and um, we'd actually a number. Uh, I know we're here today to talk about a new service in terms of mm. uh, helping young adults, but we've launched actually two other new services during the year as well. So it's been a very busy time for us, uh, exciting time despite all the challenges. So um, it's been a in a mixed bag of a year with, with obviously some challenges but, but some real progress in other areas as well so yeah as the usual kind of answers and I suppose fundraising probably another one we, we won't go into that though for the moment but yeah. as, as you mentioned you're here to tell us about a new um, mentoring uh, program that you've launched as well we were talking to Kate Carroll from Feroiga about general uh, young persons mentoring but I suppose there would be a particular um, tailored sort of a mentoring program for young people who are hearing impaired of whatever to whatever degree and you have this program called Explore. So where, where did that, where did the kind of the need for it come from or how has it been put together to be to be specifically responsive to the, the needs of uh, people who have hearing, hearing impairments rather than the general population of younger people? Yeah, um, so really generated more by a lot of the one-to-one social work and support work that we would have done with uh, young people. And we knew that there was a huge drop-off in young deaf and hard of hearing adults being able to access third level education or employment opportunities. Um, just to give you a couple of stats, we would know that possibly about a third of deaf or hard of hearing young people make it to third level education, which is which is almost kind of the opposite of, of the mainstream where approximately two thirds uh, of people end up with, with some level of, of, of third level education. So you can see from that quick stat that the type of drop off that that is there. Yeah. It's, it's huge barriers, be it, you know, pure communication skills, um, lack of awareness, lack of technology, um, but also then their own independent skills and, you know, the confidence issues, the independent uh, skills to be able to deal with all the, the challenges that are thrown in front of them. So, yeah. a program uh, that we're delighted to uh, launch, which is um, a strange time and a difficult time to launch the service, but we're, we're determined nonetheless. Um, we're really just trying to help work with both the individuals who face all these barriers and try and help them navigate through the, the various obstacles, but also then employers and third-level education um, facilities to make sure that 
from their side of things, it works that, you know, if they take on a deaf or hard of hearing uh, person that, you know, they can be a valuable employee and, and you know, there's an education piece and a support piece as well for the employer. So kind of bridge that gap between uh, the young people who, uh, like I say, are, have a lot of barriers in their way to, to make it through through life, but also then the... Mm. The, the institutions that can help them on the other side of that. that yeah, bridge. and is, is has it been your experience, Mark, that the bar, those barriers you're talking about have they really kind of been in place or perceived to be in place um, like before getting into third level education? Because I have this sense, whether I'm right or wrong about it, that um, you hear really pretty good stories in general about the kind of disability officers or access officers, whatever they may be called, in third level institutions in particular. They seem to be kind of on the ball and very. Um, you know, very responsive and everything like that. So, like, where, where do the is, is the barriers that young people perceive who who are hearing impaired? They're they're experiencing those in their earlier teenage years or throughout secondary school or finding out about career options or how do they particularly emerge? Really? Yeah, I think there's a range of things going on. Uh, to be so, I, I would I would agree in the main that most of the, the local disability uh, officers in, in the third level colleges do, do an outstanding job. Uh, for us, on, on, on some level, it's more systemic than that, that it's kind of lack of awareness, lack of um, even confidence for the young person themselves to go forward, um, that they maybe struggled through secondary school uh, and, and then got, the end, got to the end of that and felt maybe that third level was a bridge too far. And not knowing what supports were out there is, is a big issue as well. Um, mm. So they're the types of, of, of things. It's not, it's not, it's not necessarily... Uh, we're, we're saying that it's, it's all the fault of third level education. Yeah. So you've launched you've launched a new um, mentoring program called Explore. So, you know, the, because because of the specific issues that you're and the barriers you're trying to remove through this, presumably through this program. Um, what what kind of mentors are you typically looking for, and what kind of skills would you hope that they'd be able to bring to the table and make a difference to um, hearing impaired young people? Yeah, so the, the, the program itself is available to anybody from 16 upwards who uh, feels like they fall into the category of, of needing this level of support. We'll certainly start the program with two uh, qualified and trained staff members who uh, have been through this process themselves and uh, we'll, we'll be able to signpost uh, the young people through the, the various challenges. And then we're absolutely looking for either third-level institutions to get in touch with us or we'll be reaching out to them, but also any employers who are out there that that may feel that they, they have an opportunity uh, for young people to, to engage with them. So uh, explore at chime.ie is our, our email address if anybody wants to get in touch with us. Um, and we'd really welcome the, the opportunity to, to, to work with these young people. And um, for, for the mentors that you'd like to recruit, um, do they do they need to have something as specific as, say, Irish Sign Language skills? Or is that kind of a real optional extra as far as you'd be concerned? Yeah, well, obviously, the, um, the vast majority of, of uh, people who, who come to us uh, will have some level of sign language and, and some level of communication difficulty. So the, the, the people that um, we, we, we hope to work with will, will, will have some level of, of sign language, but we're very much for there to support uh, and, and act as that kind of uh, support structure for, for people who don't have sign or who don't have other you know, good uh, methods of communication. So... Like I say, we see ourselves maybe as the bridge between the, the different parties involved in, in the program to make sure that uh, that it all comes together. Yeah, and I suppose like a lot of things, um, the earlier the intervention, the better really can before um, before it gets too 
too close to particular deadlines like CAO applications or leaving certs and first first time or first semesters in, in third level colleges, you want to really start making an impact well before that, I presume. Yeah, it's a great point, Morris. Um, you know, that's, that's why we've kind of aimed it at, at from 16 onwards that it's, uh, that it's you know, we, we get to know the young person, uh, get to know their, their hopes and dreams uh, much, much, you know, uh, earlier before worrying about deadlines and, and CAO applications and, and, and leaving mm. first. So you're, you're right. It's, um, it's just to make sure that, you know, I suppose most teenagers don't know where they want to get to, get to in, in the end. Uh, it's, it's a challenge for, for everybody. But I, I think this particular group needs that little bit of extra support and guidance that, that hopefully yeah. you can offer them with this program. And one, one other obvious question that occurs to me is, like, do would hearing impaired adults actually make ideal, or could they make ideal mentors then for the younger people? Yeah, absolutely. They, they'd be a great help in terms of uh, if they've been been through the journey uh, and come out, come out uh, the other side, so to speak. Um, absolutely. Um, it's a really important point that uh, to have a... a a hard of hearing role model for, for some of these young uh, adults is, is a major, major influence in their life. Mm. Great. So well, hopefully um, you will get um, plenty of, of interest and plenty of take up in this um, new Explore mentoring program, Mark, um, and it will make a big difference, um, particularly so there's so many other challenges going on, I think, as you mentioned, for younger people as they transition out of secondary school and to have um, the impact of uh, hearing impairment added to that only makes it, I'm sure, harder. So trying to anything you can do to try and take that away has to be welcomed. Um, very best wishes and good luck with, the, with the, the launch of that new service. And thanks for joining us here to tell us about Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Thanks, Morris. You're very welcome, Mark. Lovely talking to you. Take care. Um, That was Mark Byrne, who's the Chief Executive Officer of CHIME, the National Charity for Deafness and Hearing Loss. And uh, Mark said you can get in touch about the Explore Mentoring Programme by using the email address explore at chime.ie. Very straightforward email address there. So that's that's all we've time for on today's show. It's been great to have Mark with us, Mark Byrne, and to have Declan Rice before us from the CEO of the Kilkenny Leader Partnership and indeed Kate Carroll from before that again and thanks a million to Anne Nolan for helping me produce today's show as usual and indeed to Mick Cummins there back in the studio driving the sound desk for me and making it easy for me to stay at home and produce the show looking forward to being back with you again with another Kilkenny today on Friday next in the meantime brace yourself for a bit of cold weather We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM 